You can go ahead and take a seat. It is great to be with you this morning. As a church family, we have been going through the gospel of Mark, the story of the life of Jesus as told by one of the four evangelists, Mark. And so today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn there. We're going to be looking at the day that the Son of God rose from the dead. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to even give you one. We have some free Bibles available out in the lobby. I'm going to read straight through this passage. We'll pray, and then we'll get to work looking at what Jesus wants to teach us today. Let's read together. This is from the Word of the Lord, Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. On very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Then he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the scriptures. We're so thankful for your word. And God, while there are rules and there are laws and there are instructions in the scripture, God, we see that primarily it's a story. It's a story about Jesus. It's a story about the son of God sent into the world to save and rescue and redeem sinful men and women like myself and my friends here this morning. God, I ask that you would give us all ears to hear and soft hearts to receive the truth from your word. God, I pray you would guard my mouth that I would only say that which is true from your word. And I pray today that you would stir all of our hearts to be focused more on Jesus in whose good name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We, I was a good amen. I'll take that one. We are a people that like bold, audacious claims. I think Americans in particular, we are very good at bold, audacious claims. You turn on the television for five minutes and you're going to hear five different companies telling you that their product will literally change your life if you would just spend the money and buy it. I think it actually is baked into the foundations of who we are as a a country. You go back to the founding fathers saying things like they were going to found a more perfect union. Literally, that they're going to found the best country that has ever existed in the history of the world. That's what our founding fathers thought. 
You think of heroes like Babe Ruth, who in the 1932 World Series pointed at center field and on the very next pitch swung and drove a home run right where he had pointed. That's gutsy, and he actually backed it up, right? Or you think of Muhammad Ali early in his fighting career after he had beat Sonny Liston. He said, I know the real God, and I'm the king of the world. I'm the greatest. You all need to pay attention to me. That's a rough quote. It went on much longer than that. Or I think of uh, Kanye West a few years back after he was uh, first rocketed into stardom and fame. He said, literally, if they were to remake the Bible today, he would be one of the starring characters in the Bible. I'll read this to you. (laughs) Kanye said, I bring up historical subjects in a way that makes kids want to learn about them. I'm an inspirational speaker. I changed the sound of music more than one time. He's not talking about the movie. He's talking about the thing, music. For all those reasons, I'd be a part of the Bible. I'm definitely in the history books already. That's a bold claim. That's an audacious claim. I'm about to make a bold and audacious claim of my own this morning. The words that I'm about to speak to you are the most important words that you will ever hear in your life. And it's not because I'm anything great or special. It's not because you or this church is anything great or special. It's because I stand before you today as a messenger of the greatest news that the world has ever heard that Jesus Christ was killed, buried in the ground, but he on the third day rose from the dead and his tomb is empty to this day. That is the message I stand before you to say. And it shouldn't surprise you that I'm going to make bold and audacious claims because the Bible makes bold and audacious claims. There's there's claims that Jesus rose from the dead, not just a spiritual resurrection, not just a, a metaphorical resurrection like he rose in our hearts. Or look at the new leaves of springtime. Doesn't that inspire you? You can be a new person. None of that. He really died. He really got up out of the grave. I want to read to you one of the earliest sections of the scripture that that scholars are almost unanimously agreed was one of the first things ever written in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He makes some audacious claims. He says this, starting in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He is literally saying that you could do anything else with your time than be here today if Christ is not raised from the dead and it would be a better use of your time than sitting here listening to me. If Christ has not been raised, so keep listening, we are found even to be misrepresenting God Because we testified about God that he raised Christ. We're not just lying, we're lying about God. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no heaven, there's no life after death, there's no final resurrection, it's just dead. They're dead, done, gone, they're perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I would say there is hope in this life for following Jesus, but it's much, much more than that because what Jesus is offering is eternal life. It is not just so that you can feel better about yourself or have a couple of good decades on this planet. No, the claims of Jesus are that you, like he, will one day rise and enjoy life with God in eternity. Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits meaning there's more to come. Just like Jesus was raised, those who trust in him will one day rise as well. And it shouldn't surprise you that the Bible makes bold and audacious claims because guess who was really good at making outlandish, bold claims? 
Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself made such bold claims, such outlandish claims, that if there was somebody alive today who said the things that Jesus said, we should rightly lock them up because they would be dangerous. They would be insane. They would be a liar, a megalomaniac. Jesus said things like that he is able to forgive sin. Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sin. Even though sin is against God and God alone, Jesus said that he could forgive sin. Jesus claimed to be the exclusive path to God. In John 10, he says that I am the door for the sheep. I'm the door. Or in John 14, his, his famous words where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. We live in a society and in a culture that plays a game of choose your own adventure when it comes to picking your path to God. But Jesus did not allow for that. He says, I am the way to God. Bold claims. In John 14, he claimed to be equal to God. One of his disciples said, hey, would you show us what God is like? Jesus actually said this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you're looking at me, it's as good as looking at God. If somebody said that today, you should run. But Jesus said that. He said that he was able to make people live forever. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. How many people out there do you know that have, that have you know, lived past a certain age and haven't died? Everyone dies. Death is the greatest enemy that mankind faces. Jesus said, I have defeated death. And lastly, Jesus claimed that he would die and he would rise again. At least three different times in Mark's gospel, as we've been studying this book together, we see at least three times that Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And we know that Mark doesn't waste words. He uses words very economically. So if Mark is telling us something happened three times, it probably means that Jesus said it like 30 times. And the disciples didn't get it. They didn't hear the message. But Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back from the dead. And as we're going to see, his resurrection is what proves that all of his claims were true. So let's jump back into our passage for today. Verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? I want you to see a couple things real quickly from this first uh, set of verses, these first three verses. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is dead. Just this last Friday as a church, we spent over an hour together exploring what it means that Jesus was hung on a cross, crucified, and he was dead and buried and placed in the ground. And this also brings up one of the, the first objections to the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes people will say that maybe Jesus didn't actually die. Maybe he just swooned or he fainted. Has anybody heard that explanation for the resurrection? Let me just say this. The Romans were really good at killing people. Like they had that whole putting people to death thing down, dialed in. Jesus' execution was overseen by Roman soldiers, centurions, trained in combat, trained in the art of killing people. It says that his side was pierced with a spear and blood and water flowed out. Jesus was really dead. And he was dead for a couple of reasons. On the, the human level, he was dead because he clashed with the rulers and the authorities of the day. The Jewish religious leaders did not like the fact that Jesus kept making claims to be equal to God. 
They thought that that was blasphemous. And so they conspired with the Romans, the, the, the Gentile, the pagan governmental leaders, the Roman Empire that really ruled over the whole known world at that point. They conspired with them to have Jesus put to death. And the Romans were happy because Jesus and his followers kept saying this little phrase, Jesus is Lord. Do you know what the motto of the Roman Empire at the time was? Caesar is Lord. Jesus was making claims to power. His followers were making claims that Jesus is the rightful king, not just of Israel, but of the whole entire earth. And so the Jewish religious leaders and the, the pagan uh, Roman leaders got together and put Jesus on the cross and executed him publicly. It was a form of state-sponsored terror. They put you up publicly. In our day and age, we have these internet videos of, of extremists in the Middle East uh, beheading people, and they go viral. It's meant to strike fear into the hearts of people who'd see it. That's what the cross was. On a human level, this is the most despicable, shameful, humiliating way to die. But do you know that that's, that's not all that was going on? Because the scripture tells us that it was God's will for Jesus to die as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. L let me tell you something. I love you. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church on Easter Sunday. You are a sinner, and I am a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we like to argue who's fallen more or less, but the Bible says that we all have failed to meet the bar because God's standard is perfection. Nobody is perfect. We throw that phrase around our culture so casually, it ought to bring tears to our eyes. No one is perfect. No one can stand before God. Our sin has a broken relationship with God. Our sin has accrued a debt that we cannot pay. But the good news of the cross is that God in Jesus provided a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice to pay off the debt that we owe and to restore right relationship with God. As the, as the famous hymn puts it, the hymn that we sing all the time, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. The story of Easter, the resurrection, makes no sense if you don't first know about the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. The second thing I want you to see from these verses is a shocking and amazing truth that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. Now, before you accuse me of being a chauvinist, I want to remind you that, first of all, I have four daughters, so I can't be a chauvinist. Second, this was written in first century culture. And in the first century, the testimony of women was considered widely to be not valid. In fact, we have evidence that women were rarely, if ever, allowed to testify in court because women's testimony was seen as invalid. And what a beautiful picture of the gospel that God in his sovereignty chose these three women to be the first witnesses to the resurrection. I would just say to you, by the way, if you're making up a story and you're trying to lie and convince people that something happened, you would not put that the first witnesses were women. In this culture, that would hurt your credibility. But it, it did happen, and this is truth, and that's how we can know. And it's not just any women, too. I'm gonna, I want to explain them to you in reverse order. Salome. Salome is a woman who is said to be the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So she has two sons, James and John. They were disciples of Jesus. She... Ha they're called the sons of thunder. Like these are probably intense dudes, like loud, brash. I want you to think of them as like the youth pastors of Jesus' crowd, okay? 
And this is their mom. And I want you to also remember, she's the one that went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, once you're the king, can my two boys sit at your right hand and your left? I get the picture that Salome's a little older. She's raised some tough sons. She's probably kind of like that older lady in the church who's just gonna give you her opinion whether you want it or not, right? That's speculation. But if you want a category to think of that kind of woman, that's, that's probably her. I love those type of women. If mom's listening to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> We'll cut that out for the next service. That's fine. Mary, the mother of James, backing up. It's actually really hard. Scholars don't know exactly who this Mary, the mother of James is. There are a lot of Marys, and there are a lot of Jameses in the Bible. I kind of get the sense that this is just one of those women that followed Jesus. She wasn't particularly notable, but she was faithful, and she was just always there. And then we get Mary Magdalene, who both Mark and Luke tell us had seven evil spirits cast out of her by Jesus. It's not in the Bible, but early church tradition tells us that she may have, in fact, been a a working woman, if you will, a, a harlot. We don't know that for certain, but I can tell you this. If you are someone who has had seven demons cast out of you, you are someone who's been around the block a few times, and you know a thing or two about sin and suffering and evil. So this is the equivalent of the the older brass church lady, the kind of nondescript, we don't really know much about lady, and the gal who just quit her job dancing at the club on Aurora Avenue, all going together to minister to Jesus in his, his burial. You know what brings people like that together? Nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus can bring people like that together. They're going because Jesus was crucified on a Friday and it was getting near to sundown and the the Sabbath was starting and the Passover was starting. So they quickly wrapped up Jesus' body in a linen cloth. They, They placed it in the tomb. These women were there. They saw it. And they're now coming back after the Sabbath day, after the day of rest, to prepare his body for uh, burial properly. They brought spices. They probably brought fresh cloths, and they were going to give him a proper burial. And the third thing I want you to see is that they were not expecting a resurrection. They were not expecting this at all, even though Jesus had told them multiple times. This is another objection that people make to the resurrection. Well, the disciples just wanted it to happen, so they wishful thinking kind of made this whole story happen. Listen, if you were writing a a fictitious tale, wouldn't you at least think that you should put in there that one of the disciples said, hey, remember how Jesus kept talking about how he'd rise on the third day? Maybe we ought to go check the tomb. It's not there. The men, the disciples are nowhere to be found. The women who were courageous enough to go to Jesus' tomb and give him a proper burial were not expecting a resurrection. They're depressed. They're looking down. They're wondering who will roll the stone away. Continuing on, verse 4, and looking up. Sometimes we just need to look up. Our minds are buried in our problems, our, our sorrows, our weights. We need to look up and see the resurrected Savior. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, meaning the women didn't do it. They didn't do it, okay? That's an eyewitness detail right there. And entering the tomb, I love this, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, another eyewitness detail, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I really love those sort of like no-duh moments in the Bible. Like, yeah, we went to go bury somebody, and there's a creepy dude sitting in the cave just like smiling at us. And he says, do not be alarmed. Like, oh, thanks, that helps. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? They were there when he was laid down. They saw it, but they don't see him anymore. But go, tell his disciples 
and Peter. We're going to come back to that in a moment. That he is going before you to Galilee. Galilee is the, the northern region of the country. It's where Jesus had started his ministry. It's where he had met his first disciples. I'm going to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Let me just tell you this. I am really glad, uh, I'm really glad that, that I'm not Jesus because I would have done things a little bit differently in this moment. Jesus told the angel to tell the women to tell the disciples that he is risen. If it had been me, I might have taken a different approach. I might have said something like, go tell Caiaphas the high priest and Pilate the Roman governor that I'm back. Go tell those Roman soldiers who pierced my side, who nailed me to the cross that I'm back and they better watch their back, right? Like that would have been more my approach. But in this moment, Jesus' concern is for his disciples, the ones who had fled, the ones who had scattered. And he in particular mentions Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' closest companions. Peter, one of the three disciples that was on Jesus' inner circle. Peter, the one, the night that, that Jesus was arrested, fled and was a coward. Peter, the one who stood outside while Jesus' mockery of a trial took place and when, when he was questioned by people if he knew Jesus, he, he said, no, I don't know Jesus, and he denied him. When a, when a servant girl, a teenage servant girl said, no, I'm pretty sure you were with Jesus, he called down curses upon himself and said, I do not know Jesus. How broken do you think Peter must have been at this moment? Jesus was killed, and the last thing I did was deny him publicly. And here we see Jesus' heart the message from the angel is go get Peter. Make sure you don't leave Peter out. Jesus has a special grace in his heart for Peter. Now the last section, verse nine. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, that's Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. All the gospel accounts are consistent. Mary Magdalene, this one from whom Jesus had cast seven demons, is the first to see the resurrected Savior. That's beautiful. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. And after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. You can read about that in Luke 24. Luke gives us much more data on what happened. There's two disciples walking. Jesus appeared to them. And they ran back and told the rest, but they didn't believe them. So Mary and two of the other disciples have seen Jesus. They've seen not just the tomb being empty, but they've actually seen Jesus. And they go back and they make the announcement to tell the rest of the disciples and they're met with disbelief. Uh, uh, a few years ago, um, a few years ago, we announced to my kids, my, my, my three daughters at the time, that it was on Christmas morning that we were going to, that afternoon, get on an airplane and fly and go to Disneyland. It was, the best, it was the best announcement. My wife and I planned it. We had Disney-themed plane tickets and all this stuff. We really made a big to-do about it. Any of the kids here in the room want to go to Disneyland? Just ask your parents long enough, and they'll eventually give in, okay? I see grown-ups raising their hands. You guys want to go to <laughs> You guys can go to Disneyland. That's fine. Nobody's judging. So I, we, we put all this effort and this energy into this big announcement, and they opened the box, and they pulled the stuff out, and we're like, we're going to Disneyland. And you know what my kid's response was? Nothing. They're like, oh, cool. 
they just didn't have a framework of how to even understand what I had just told them. They went back to playing with their toys. After about 10 or 15 minutes, though, it sunk in, and all of a sudden, then the shrieking came. And then the, wait, are you serious? Like, today we're going to go? Oh, my gosh. I tell that story because it kind of reminds me what the disciples are doing here. They just didn't have a framework to process the news that Jesus was alive. They didn't know how to even deal with that fact. Mary's telling them, the two disciples are telling them, and they're just kind of sitting there in shocked disbelief. And so that's where we find ourselves today. This is how the text ends. Now we know later that the disciples got it. We know later that the 10 of the remaining 11 disciples, Judas committed suicide, took his own life. The remaining 11 disciples, 10 of them went to martyrs' deaths because they would not stop talking about the fact that they had seen the risen Savior. But you and I find ourselves right here. This is where we find ourselves. I have never seen with my physical eyes the resurrected Jesus. I have never touched him with my physical hands. Neither have you, neither have any of us. We are hearing the firsthand report of eyewitnesses who said they saw the resurrected Jesus. And for a while, many of them doubted and they didn't believe. But our call today is, will we believe? Will we respond in faith or will we remain in doubt? Will we respond with belief or will we respond with unbelief? That's for Christian and non-Christian alike. Look, if you are a Christian, today God wants to increase your faith in the resurrected Savior, that you might see his resurrection as the, the, the key thing that holds all of what we believe together. If you're not a Christian, there's an invitation today for you to surrender to him, to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, to believe what it is that he claimed and what it is that he said because he, in fact, rose from the dead. Did Jesus rise or did he not? That's the question. If Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. You know that every other religion, you can go visit the death and burial place of their founder. And when you go there, you'll see a statue or you'll see a pile of rocks or you'll see their bones. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus, first of all, we don't even really know where it is. But second of all, if you find the place where they think it is, guess what? It is empty. It's empty. I'm going to start preaching in a minute here. I want to tell you a few things in closing. Here's the deal. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means something. I don't want you to just believe that a resurrection happened. There are scholars today who are biblical scholars, experts in the New Testament world who believe that a resurrection happened yet would not identify as Christians. They would say that they're agnostic or atheist. You can believe that a resurrection happened. You know what? The demons believe that a resurrection happened. I want you to believe in the resurrection. I want you to believe in the God of resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means these things. It means five things. I'll close with this. Number one, it means that all of Jesus' claims were true. Every single thing he said was true if he rose from the dead. In fact, if Jesus rose from the dead, then this book is altogether true because Jesus quoted from it extensively. And he spoke as this book, the, the, the Old Testament scriptures in particular, but continuing on into the new, as the word of God. It means that all of Jesus' claims are true. Number two, if Jesus rose from the dead, it means that death is not the unbeatable enemy that we think it is. Death is the, the great enemy that we are trying to uh, vanquish, we're trying to escape from. How many anti-aging creams and, and pills do we try to take to extend our lives? In Jesus Christ, death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. It's been undone by his death. Number three, 
If Jesus rose from the dead, it means that God breathes life into dead things. Let me tell you what I have seen in my life. I have seen dead marriages, marriages that were decimated by decade-old secrets. I've seen those marriages come back to life through the power of the gospel of the resurrected Savior. I have seen racists, people I know personally who uh, hated people with a different skin color from them be broken by the gospel of the resurrected Savior that says that all are welcomed in regardless of race, nationality, skin color, uh, uh, or any of those things that we like to divide over. I have seen judgmental, self-righteous, religious people be broken and humbled by the power of the gospel. God breathes life into dead things, amen? He brings to life things that seem impossible but that comes through the power of the resurrected Savior. Four, it means that Jesus is a first fruit of a new creation. That means that it's not just that Jesus rose, and it's not even just that one day those who trust in Jesus will also rise, but it means that Jesus is in the process of remaking and recreating the world, a new heavens, a new earth, where sickness is alleviated, no more war, no more poverty, no more famine, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death. That is the hope of the gospel, that Jesus will, in fact, make the whole world over again. And we who trust in Jesus follow him as new creations. Lastly, number five, it means that all are, adopt, are invited to receive God's salvation, to be adopted into his family, to lay down their sins and, and trust in Jesus as their savior and to receive grace. L listen, some of you in here today might feel like a, like a Mary Magdalene. You are well acquainted with evil. You are well acquainted with sin. And you think, you think that you're too far gone for God's grace. I'm here to tell you, no one is too far gone for God's grace. You might feel like a Peter, somebody who maybe at one point had some faith in Jesus and you walked with Jesus, but at some point you turned and you denied him. You said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You're not too far gone for God's grace. Maybe some of you are kind of like the, the Mary, the mother of James, or maybe even someone kind of like me, where you're not really that bad of a person. You're actually a pretty decent human being. But you need to understand that being a good person does not equate to the righteousness that God requires. Your sin, my sin, might not be the kind of sin that would get you thrown into jail, but it sure is the type that would get you thrown into hell. And you need to see that Jesus is that substitute. He's that savior, and his resurrection proves that his grace is sufficient for anyone. Trust me, you are not too far gone. You are not beyond the reach of God's saving grace. I want you to know this. God is full of grace and mercy. We see his character revealed at the cross where judgment and mercy meet. But we see his power on display in the resurrection Church, I am convinced of it. Billions of people across the world are convinced of it. The truth is that Jesus was crucified. He was buried in the ground, but he is not dead anymore. He is alive. And that is good news for us. That is such good news for us. Christ is risen. Yeah, he is risen. We want to shout this from the rooftops. We want to let everyone know that Jesus is alive. I kind of felt like the sermon should just be me up here for 20 minutes just yelling Jesus is alive over and over again, but I wanted to give you something more. We're going to call into a time of response now. We're going to respond in a couple of ways. We're going to respond as usual with, with singing and celebrating and shouting and rejoicing because Jesus is alive. 
We're going to respond with, with baptisms. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. We're also going to respond with the giving of, of tithes and offerings. Listen, if you're a guest, you are under no obligation to give. You're welcome to if you would like. But for those of us who have been saved by Jesus, for those of us who have been adopted into this family, we give as an act of worship. And so I'll invite the financial stewards to come forward and collect the offering now. Some of you want, might want to give a uh, text to give. There's a number on the Connect card that you were handed if you want to uh, do the text to give thing. While they're collecting the offering, let me, let me say this. Most weeks, uh, we put up some discussion questions so that you and your community groups, your, your small groups can talk about things. You can talk about what it is that Jesus is teaching you or doing in your life. Listen, we don't have any official discussion questions for this week's community groups. You know why? Because you need to throw a party. Because Jesus is alive. And this is like, this is like, get the best meats. Like, not the cash and carry stuff. Like, get the really good stuff, right? And don't serve diet soda, like Mexican Coke bottles, like the good stuff, right? Party, because Jesus was dead and he is alive. I would encourage you to just talk about what that means, that, that the one who was crucified for our sins is now alive and will be forever. Also, I'm gonna talk about baptism. Baptism is one of the two uh, ordinances that our Lord Jesus himself instituted. In the waters of baptism, we identify with judgment. We go under the water, identifying with Jesus' death and the judgment on sin. But then we do, we come up from the water in the celebration of new life and identification with Jesus' resurrection. Baptism is a powerful symbol of the gospel, it's a, it's a way that God even ministers grace, not just to those who are being baptized, but to all of us who get to watch and celebrate that. And maybe some of you have never been baptized as a Christian. You've never been baptized as a believer. You've never said, I actually do believe that the resurrection happened. I do believe that it has implications for my life, and I want to surrender to Jesus, the resurrected Savior. We would instruct you and invite you to go out to the lobby Talk to one of our pastors out there. Both Pastor Travis and Pastor Shane are out there. They would love to talk with you. We've got a change of clothes we'd love to give to you. Uh, you're thinking, I didn't bring clothes. I don't keep extra clothes in my wallet. That's fine. We have some for you. Then you can get baptized and we can celebrate and live a new life, one that professes Jesus. You are not beyond the reach of God's grace. For the rest of us who are Christians who are already baptized believers, when somebody does go into the water and comes back up, let's shout and let's celebrate and let's cheer because it says in the Bible that when one sinner repents, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. You know what that means? God's partying. God is celebrating. It says in, in one of the Old Testament prophets that he, he exalts over us with loud singing. So God is singing louder than even we are. And Pastor Joe and the worship team is going to lead us in some song. So I would like to do this. I'd like to invite you to stand if you would like Christ got up out of the grave. Let's get up out of our chairs and let's sing and let's celebrate the Savior who is risen. Amen? Let me pray. God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. God, I pray right now for all of my brothers and sisters here in this room. God, for those who are Christians, would you strengthen their faith? Would you minister grace to them? Would they see you as the resurrected Savior and that the resurrection means everything to us as a people? And God, for my friends who are here today who are not Christians, who have not surrendered to you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would minister to their hearts. God, maybe they have reasons why they think that they're beyond your saving grace. God, I pray that you would show them the kindness, the riches of the kindness and mercy of our Savior Jesus. And God, may we all celebrate him who was dead and is now alive forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody shouted, amen. amen.